Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, we're going to turn everything on and uh, visit with... You weren't here last week. Uh, how's your wife doing, by She's the way? She's doing better, and Good. I've got to say something today, Seb. Today is a very special day. It's my anniversary. No. And I want to tell my sweet wife, happy anniversary. Whatever you want to, wherever you want to go eat today, we're going. 43 years, Zeb. Well, you're still seven behind us. Oh, okay. We're celebrating 50 <laughs> oh, this year. I'm glad I'm not as old as you, Zeb. Don't rub it in. <laughs> I have the power of the switch of the microphone. That's true. That's no, you're lovely by 43, 43 years. 43 years, yep, it's been great. Did you put a cap on the spending, though, and say you can go anywhere to eat as long as it's a drive-in or no, something? Or? <laughs> no cap. Wherever you want to go. McDonald's, uh, Wendy's, you know, you name it. You're not going to spare any quarters, are you? No, I'm not. Okay. What are we going to talk about today? Well, i got to say hi to a few people first. I want to say hi to Larry, and, you know, I really appreciate listeners giving me suggestions. Mm -hmm. So he gave me the suggestion of something called the Great Diamond Hoax that happened in 1872 in northwest Colorado. So I'm going to look up that and see what that's all about. Josh, over in B.C., Canada, he suggested one called Cataline. And evidently, this guy was a legendary packer up in Canada. So I'm going to look that up. And then I had a veterinarian by the name of Max call me or uh, email me because I talked about buffalo, how hard it is to shoot them right in the head and kill them. And he explained to me where to place the bullet uh, between the eyes and below the, the horns to kill a buffalo. Well, now, the Indians, when they were hunting a horseback, they used to shoot arrows into the neck area, didn't they? Well, or the lungs. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and then Brian, uh, I want to say hi to Brian, and he's in Tennessee. Well, my goodness. So, the volunteer state. Yeah. So, we've got some good listeners out there, and I appreciate suggestions for, for stories. I, I've got a pretty good list now that I need to start going down and and. And doing those stories. You know, you thrive on this stuff. Your eyes just start to light up. You look like a cheap neon sign. <laughs> Thank you. <Okay. laughs> it's a good thing this is radio. Okay. So today's Eb, I'm g- you know, this March is uh, honoring women in history yeah, month. Right. Last week I talked about uh, Louise uh, Sherman, Sherman uh, up in Coeur d'Alene. Today I'm going to talk about a woman they call the Pocahontas of Georgia. And as I go along, you'll see really? why she uh, deserves to be up there with Pocahontas. Okay. okay? So we're going to go clear back to 1700, so a long time ago. About so the time you were born. Right in there, yeah. yeah. But, you know, from a very young age until the end of her life, Mary Musgrove Bosomworth, as she's remembered in history, was basically in two worlds. Her Indian heritage and her white way of life. She lived like the English with regard to her home, her clothing, marriage, her political activity. But she remained strongly connected to the Native American people. And kind of the sad thing is that she was kind of misunderstood by both cultures, both the white culture and the Indian culture. But the circumstances that thrust Mary into uh, history started in England in 1729. So now she's almost 30 years old. Oh, my. General James Oglethorpe, a soldier, secured a commission from King George II to establish the colony of Georgia. 
So Oglethorpe hoped it would serve as a haven for, you know, uh, Europe's people, the, the debtors, the religious refugees. So the king signed the charter on June 9th, 1732. So now in November 1732, Oglethorpe left England with about 120 colonists. The ship stopped in South Carolina. Oglethorpe and a few others paddled their boats up the Savannah River. He spotted a bluff that would uh, that overlooked the river, and he thought, well, that'll be a good location for a settlement. So the Indian tribe, the Yamacraws, are a split-off group of the Creek Indians. And, and this is where? In Georgia? In Georgia, yeah, and South Carolina. So anyway, this Yamacraw um, uh, Indian tribe lived about three miles from this bluff that he was looking at. Now, uh, their chief was named Tomachichi, and he greeted the English, but Oglethorpe wanted to ask permission for his band to settle on this bluff, but neither of them spoke English, so the chief sent for Mary Musgrove. Now, she was the daughter of his sister, and the Indians had given Mary the title of princess. Well, Mary spoke English really well and translated between the two leaders. In addition, she helped ease the Indians' objections to the English settling there. So she had an English name, but she was... Uh... Half Indian and half white. I see. Yeah. So oh. she knew, And I'll explain how she uh, grew to learn English. But anyway, Oglethorpe hired Mary and agreed to pay her 100 English pounds per year. Now, that was a lot back then. Um, I'm going to say that had to be... Maybe two hundred and fifty dollars really? in American, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, the general made her the go-between between uh, them and the Creek Indians and mm-hmm. her tribe. Mm-hmm. So Mary was not very big, five feet tall, one hundred pounds, and by now she's thirty-three years old. She had hair that hung down in two long braids, and she stuck a feather into a band of beads she wore across her forehead. Kind of get the picture of this very petite, yeah. uh, sweet yeah. uh, Indian woman with a, a feather in her in her band there. Anyway. Her story starts in the settling of South Carolina when the English settled Charleston, South Carolina, in 1670. The Creek Indians actually welcomed them to get protection from other Indians and from the Spanish friars who were there trying to convert the Indians. So they kind of got together with them. Now, the Creek's loyalty to the English did not last long. In 1715, they joined forces with their relatives, the Yamases. And I hope I'm saying that right. No, you're on your own. The Yamasee tribe yeah. <laughs> to attack Charleston. And this started what they called the Yamasee War. Well, the attack was a failure. The Creeks then sought uh, Cherokee help to pursue another attack. But the Cherokee aligned with South Carolina Indians against the Creeks. And they signed a peace treaty with the Carolinians. And the Creeks and the Carolinians began to trade uh, in 1718. So this was all at the same time that our forefathers were planning and getting ready to yes. go ahead with the Revolutionary War. Yeah, starting, you know, it was heading that wow. direction. Yeah. yeah. So Mary was born around 1700, and her father was more likely a guy by the name of Edward Griffin, who was a licensed trader. When she was between the ages of 7 and 10, Mary's father took her uh, to South Carolina, She was baptized and educated as a Christian. She learned to speak English and was given the Christian name Mary. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now, in 1716, so here she is, 16 years old, the government of South Carolina sent Colonel John Musgrove to negotiate the treaty that would end the Yamasee Ward War. Now, he, he had a son named John Musgrove, Jr., and he went along with his father, and he fell in love with this beautiful Indian princess and asked her to marry him. Well, the marriage took place in 1717, so she's 17 years old, which was not abnormal, mm-hmm. you know, 1617, to get married. Uh, now, although Mary uh, actually married two more times, she is best known today by the name of Mary Musgrove. I see. Now, the newlyweds lived among the Cherokee in Georgia for several years. Then they went back to South Carolina. Carolina, about 1723, and they lived there for another seven years. They had two sons, Edward and James. They relocated in 1732 to where Savannah, Georgia, is now, right in that area. I see. Now, this was a year before this General James Oglethorpe founded the Georgia colony. So the couple opened a trading post. Mary was very good at business. She had really good business skills. The trading post grew one-sixth of Charlestown's annual export. 12,000 pounds of deer skins passed through the Musgrove's trading post. They also owned cattle. So they had a very thriving business going there mm-hmm. between the trading post and the cattle. And what year was that? That would have been 1732. Two, I see. Right in there. So when Oglethorpe settled the new colony of Georgia, he gave Mary gifts to become her friend. Now, those new settlers had to establish relations with the local Indians and those in South Carolina. So Oglethorpe often called on Mary to interpret and negotiate between his government and the Indians. So Mary used her influence to convince the Yamacraw, which was her tribe, uh, part of the Crow, uh, uh, what did I say? Creek. Creek. <laughs> uh, had a little... Anyway. <laughs> I get those bubbles a lot. <laughs> Let me start over. Okay. Mary used her influence to uh, inf- to convince the Yamacraw, which was her tribe, Indians, to cede a portion of their land to the colonists. I uh, see. Oglethorpe admired and trusted her so much that he began to regularly uh, seek her for advice. Now, both Georgia and South Carolina tried to have the upper hand in trade with the local Native Americans in the rum trade. Ah. Okay? Mary helped Georgia win that rivalry. So now, 1734, Mary again used her influence when she interpreted at the meeting between Choctaw Chief Red Shoes and Georgia's leaders. Two years later, when tensions arose... Oglethorpe again asked Mary to serve as an interpreter at a meeting with Chigilly, leader of the Lower Creeks tribe. And two or three years after the Musgroves moved to Georgia, John, her husband, died. Oh, he did? Yeah. So here she is. She's, what, 34, 33 years old. Yeah. She has these two boys, and but her first husband died. So Mary had a home in Savannah. She had 1,400 acres of land. 
She also held an important position in the colony because of her relationship with Oglethorpe and her ability to provide supplies to the early settlers. So to see how much she helped those colonists when they didn't have much. Really? Well, she didn't stay uh, single for very long. She soon married a guy named Jacob Matthews. Well, the marriage to Mary completely changed this guy. He had another side to him. He was quarrelsome. He was given to uh, drink. Uh, not a very good guy. Well, so. they were dealing in rum. What do you expect? <laughs> well, I guess he sampled too much of the goods. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, Mary's influence in the colony continued during her five-year marriage to Jacob Matthews. Oglethorpe asked Mary to start a second trading post on the south side of the Altamaha River to help protect Georgia against Spanish invasion. So what Mary did, she would look out for suspicious Spanish movements and try to warn the colonists if the Spanish looked like they were heading up the river to maybe attack. I see. So anyway, she aided in concluding treaties and in uh, securing Creek warriors to fight with the British against Spain in the War of Jenkins' Ear. That was 1739 through uh, 44. Mary influenced the Indians to side with Oglethorpe, and she even sent her own workers that worked for her into battle. And Creek warriors went with Oglethorpe when he attacked the fort at St. Augustine, but they were defeated. It didn't work out. Hmm. Good. So here we are, 1738. A group of Creeks gave Mary a uh, title to three offshore jo- uh, Georgia islands. And I'm going to try to pronounce them, okay? Here we go. The island of Sapilo. Uh-huh. Oza, Oza, uh-huh. And I've got this one down. St. Catharines. <laughs> one was, out of three. Yeah. Anyway, they That'll also... get you in the whole thing. They also gave her a tract of land. Now, her husband, Jacob Matthews, became ill in 1742, and although Mary took him to Savannah for medical care, he died, which I can't imagine was too sad of a situation. Yeah, but you know, now she's two husbands and two yeah. deaths, and one might look at her a little quizzically. Okay, well, it doesn't end there, Zeb. Oh, my. Okay. So, anyway, so while she was gone taking care of her husband in Savannah, the Indians came in and demolished her unprotected trading post. They uh, took away her cattle, and they raided the, the trading post, so she came back to really nothing. But she continued to barter with traders. Uh, she sold colonists meat, bread, and other foods that were sorely needed in those early years before the colonists began to produce their own things for themselves. Yeah. And a lot of the colonists, get this, uh, never paid their bills. So, so she basically gave away a lot of her produce. Mm. So now we're 1743. She's 43 years old. Oglethorpe left Savannah, given Mary a going-away present, one of his own diamond rings. And he promised her 100 pounds a year to continue as interpreter. Well, Mary didn't remain uh, widowed for very long. She married an Englishman named Thomas Bosomworth in, eight, in 1744. Bosomworth. Uh-huh. Okay, don't forget that name. I'm not. Thomas. Okay. <laughs> Well, Thomas Bosomworth worked as a clerk. He was later appointed as Secretary of Indian Affairs, and he was a good guy. I think he was okay. So now Oglethorpe is gone. Mary continued to help the colony during the War of the Austrian Succession. She worked successfully to convince the Creeks not to respond to the French appeal for help. During the Creek-Cherokee War in 1747, she, uh, she persuaded the Creeks to remain loyal to the English. 
Now, after Oglethorpe left, the relationships between Mary and the colonists kind of turned bad. Uh Things were not looking good. First, the colonists no longer treated Mary with her former respect, and she kind of felt insulted. Mary also felt angry about the lack of payment for the goods and services she'd provided. She never got paid. So, but she had continued to interpret for the leaders with uh, no payment. And when she asked for payment, uh, that's when things kind of broke down between the relationship. It got a little bit strained. So a major conflict occurred when Mary and Thomas, her husband, Bosomworth, attempted to lay claim to the property that Mary had received earlier from the creeks. You know, the three islands uh, and the other ground. So Georgia leaders denied Mary's claim to ownership of those three islands. Now, Thomas, her husband, he was, he was not going to just sit back. Uh, influenced by his wife, uh, that she'd been wronged by the colonists. Um, so in the history of Georgia, there's a guy by the name of Stevens, and here's what he wrote about her. He says, quote, Hitherto the career of Mary had been one of generous self-denial and of unmerited labors for the good of the colony. She had not indeed received the full reward for her services, but she rested in security on the faith of the government and was until her marriage with Bosomworth quiet in her conduct and moderate in her demands. So she was kind of an easygoing lady Absolutely. Up, up until now. <laughs> Uh-oh. So up until 1743, Mary had received only about $1,000. So after all those years, maybe three years worth of pay. Holy okay. smokes. So she did have a justifiable claim. And uh, however uh, it came about, Mary's attitude toward the colony kind of shifted. And Bosomworth, he stirred up the colony with his attempts, attempts to get compensation for her property and, and uh, what she'd done. Well, the Creeks supported Mary in her claims and threatened to block any further colonial settlement in the areas uh, under the Creek Colonial Treaty of 1739. Well, her husband uh, took documentation to England, hoping the king would recognize uh, Mary's ownership of those islands. Well, feeling that her cause could be pursued more favorably in person, Mary and Thomas sold some of their property to raise cash, and they actually traveled over to England. Hmm. Now, 1754, so now she's 54 years old. They made their trip to England. Uh, To their disappointment, the Board of Trade rendered a decision in 1759 that disallowed their claims. When they returned to Georgia, Mary accepted a compromise in 1760, and it was kind of a compromise. Both parties were somewhat satisfied, but not totally. So the colony council, council and governor resolved the issue by giving Mary title to one of the islands, St. Catherine's Island. And they actually paid her for the sale of the two other islands. So she now had an island and was paid for the other two. So when she acquired St. Catherine's plus her earlier properties, actually she was the largest landowner in Georgia. Really? Largest landowner. So... They were well off. They had enough money to build a grand home on St. Catherine's Island, and that's where they lived until Mary's death in 1765. So, you know, that's kind of unusual, too, to live to be 65 years old. Yeah. Um, But uh, Mary was a remarkable woman. She exercised extraordinary influence not only in Creek-Georgia relations, but also as an emissary of South Carolina. Few women in her time approached her level of importance. So Mary, Musgrove, Matthews, Bosomworth, 
rose to become an outstanding leader. Hmm. And here's what they said in one of the newspaper things. Quote, she was a woman without equal in the Carolina-Georgia frontier and who contributed profoundly not only to the success of the colony of Georgia, but to the success of the Carolina Ventures as well. So, you know, some consider her one of the most important figures in Georgia's colonial history and an outstanding woman, and she undoubtedly provided a great deal of help to Oglethorpe uh, during the development of Georgia, and things would have gone a lot different if she hadn't been there to kind of ease tensions between the Indians and the new Mm -hmm. uh, colonists. So when we say she was kind of the... uh, Pocahontas of Georgia, that kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? And she died at 65. 65, in 1765, yeah. 1765. Yeah, and so if she would have been alive another uh, 11 <laughs> years, that would have been interesting through the oh, right. Revolutionary War. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it makes you wonder how she would have fit into that. Yeah. She was somewhat loyal to the English, but uh, that yeah. was kind of spoiled a little bit, too. Yeah. So... I kind of think she would have sided with her Indian uh, tribe. Interesting. And, you know, really, you would have thought that her Indian tribe would have been basically her collection agency. Yeah. I mean... Seriously. Was, yeah. Because she was not treated well. Yeah. But, like I said, she was kind of in between both cultures, being Native American and white. Because so. she could have showed up with about 10 or 20 braves and said, what do you mean you don't have the money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what have you got? Yeah, I'll really, take, really. I'll take some of those cows out there in your you corral. Go. There you go. Good story. Good that was, story. That was good. I, uh, I'm going to try another, find another good story for next week about uh, some of the, to me, famous people that are not famous and not well known. Okay. Because I'm going to bet very few people have heard about Louise that I talked about last year. Right. And Mary Musgrove, probably those down in Georgia, South Carolina, yeah. I'm going to guess probably have heard about her. But it makes you wonder, all the people that have been lost to history, that their stories need to be told. Absolutely. And you are the man to do it. I am the man. Thank you.